Welcome to The Skinny. I'm your co-host, Mitch Perry, reporter for the Florida Phoenix, joined by my colleagues here, Ray Roa from Creative Loafing and Ben Montgomery with Axios. Thanks so much for joining us. Guys, hello. hello. How are hey, we doing? How are we doing? Good to be back. Good, they good. didn't cancel us. Yeah, too. Good to see you guys back here. We're, we're back here, right? Second show for the skinny here. Take up the airways every Friday morning now on WMNF from 11 a.m. to noon. Of course, there were some major developments statewide this week. First and foremost, more battles ignited by, by between Governor Ron DeSantis and higher education here in Florida. And we're going to get to that right now with our special guest joining us live on the line, uh, Orlando area Democratic State Representative Anna Escamani. Uh, Representative Escamani, are you there? I'm here. Thanks so much for having me. Hey. Great to have you here with us, uh, Representative. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Skinny. So, so much to talk to you about in the time we have with you. So, first off, let's talk about this issue with uh, higher education and what some are saying the takeover by Governor DeSantis. Specifically, I want to talk about Tuesday, last Tuesday. That's where the governor gave a speech in Bradenton in the morning where he announced plans to defund diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives at state colleges and universities. Then on Tuesday afternoon, shortly before the trustees at New College of Florida in Sarasota convened for their first board meeting with a majority of DeSantis picked trustees in attendance, we learned that former Pasco County State Representative and Florida Education Commissioner Richard Corcoran would replace New College President Patricia Auker. And it looks like they're actively now working to reshape New College into uh, Hillsdale College, a private Christian institution in Michigan. So you were there, right, uh, Representative Escamani in, um, in, at New College on Tuesday. Talk to us about what you saw there on Tuesday. I mean, this is death of a thousand cuts of our higher education institutions. And yes, I was there on Tuesday. I have been working alongside the new college students in advocating and mobilizing uh, against this hostile right-wing takeover of new college with the understanding of what happens in new college can happen anywhere in Florida. And so I, I joined the students. We had a rally outside. Um, the new college uh, administrators will not even let me into the board of trustees meeting. If that tells you anything about how sketch everything is, a public meeting uh, where public officials are not allowed to participate if they disagree with the agenda. And of course, you know, the, the foundational concerns is that political interference into our higher institutions is undemocratic, it's un-American, it's anti-freedom. And it's dangerous for the future of our state and the future of our of our of our next generation of leaders. And of course, you know, so much of this comes down to the fact that Republicans realize that their base and their values are 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 either disappearing and or out of date. So what do you do when there's this inevitable shift in the electorate from Generation Z? You attempt to indoctrinate that generation. And it's so much projection because so many Republicans and the governor will talk about indoctrination. And yet I would argue that uh, indoctrination is you inserting your conservative agenda into our schools, which is exactly what is happening. And so um, it was very, very disturbing. And within one swoop, within one board meeting, they took over the board of trustees, they fired the president and brought on, as you noted, a former Republican politician to be the interim president. And then they hired a former Republican politician to be the general counsel of the school. So not only is it just undemocratic, but it's also one giant conservative grift. And I would not be surprised if contracts out of the school also start going to DeSantis's donors. I mean, so much of this is not just about the, the, the ideological and academic freedom concerns. It's also just about the fact that it's a grift, that you're giving a bunch of right wing uh, and, and, you know, old politicians new jobs with the public's dime. 
And, and in fact, I was inside of, uh, inside of that meeting. I got into the room, fortunately. And, uh, and the gentleman who made both motions, one to, uh, to hire Richard Cochran as the, or Corcoran as the uh, interim president, and then the second to uh, hire Bill Galvano as general counsel, um, referred to them in both uh, sort of build up to those motions as his friends, which the student trustee, uh, Grace was her first name, uh, pointed out that might not be a good idea to continue to refer to these people you're giving jobs to as your friends. Um, it speaks to the to the grift part of it, doesn't it? Absolutely. Well, and it speaks to some serious sunshine violations, which I do think is an area that needs to be investigated because how how could this have been coordinated without violating sunshine law? I mean, the president clearly was given ultimatum to say either you ex- you resign and accept a severance package. Uh, or you're terminated and you lose everything. And, and it was so awkward to watch her try to avoid saying anything that would get her to lose her severance. And there was one board member trying to protect her in that way. But clearly, there's no way that could all have been coordinated in that one board meeting. There was obviously some sort of sunshine violation, which may be hard to prove, but it just further speaks to how insidious and uh, and problematic this is when decisions are also being made about our public institutions behind closed doors. Were you surprised at the uh, at the attention this is receiving? I, I met a, a journalist there representing a Danish newspaper. Uh, I know the New York Times, the Washington Post had reporters there. There were a bank of television cameras. It seems to be getting a lot of attention. Is that surprising to you? It's a small school. It's not surprising to me at no. all. I mean. It's a it's a small school, but it's a public school. And we've already seen multiple attempts to target higher ed by DeSantis. I mean, obviously, this one is probably the most dramatic. Um, but let's be clear. You have the Florida legislature uh, going after the presidential search process. Of course, Ben Sass, president of UF and UF in the past censoring professors mm. from testifying as expert witnesses and litigation challenging the governor. Um, you also have attempts to water down tenure, uh, the accreditation process, the legislature forcing schools to choose new accreditors. And of course, House Bill 7 just being expanded to higher ed, which is now stopped in the courts. But I mean, you know, for me, this is also just the culmination of of many attacks. It's probably the most the 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 worst visual representation of it. And that's why it gets so much attention. But folks need to also understand that it's not the first time the governor's gone after higher ed, despite the fact that in 2019, when he was asked about academic freedom in Florida schools, he actually said, we didn't have an issue with that. And of course, three years later, now that you're running for president, everything shifts. Uh, But you know, it deserves the attention. And I would argue it's not getting enough attention in in you know other parts of the state because what folks tend to not care until they're directly impacted. And I I'm trying to ring the alarm bell to say you might not have a connection to a new college, but if you have any connection to a state university or college, then you should be concerned. And and so I I I feel like it actually needs more attention in other parts of the state. And uh, Representative uh, Eskamani Ray here from Creative Loafing Tampa Bay. We had our photographer Dave Decker down there. And there's a lot of emotional photos of, of students being very emotional. Um, lots of signs in there. I know that you didn't get in um, to piggyback off of Ben's point with all the reporters and the attention there. And I know you mentioned you know death by a thousand cuts, some things to look out for, see where the money is going. But how much of this is like kind of a mission accomplished for DeSantis and that administration, and that it's already. 
identified a quote-unquote boogeyman and given his base and, and sort of pseudo-delivered on this promise that he gave to them, how much do you think they even care now they've already made the big splash um, and might just move on to the next thing and just let whatever happens to New College happen? I mean, it's a good question. You know, when it comes to, you know, just everything DeSantis does is is a performance, right? It's for the attention. And clearly he's gotten that attention. And, I'm, and, and, and honestly, some of these national headlines are pretty gross. I mean, let's be clear. This is a fascist takeover of a public institution that is funded by the public, uh, by the man that manufactured the entire CRT uh, controversy, right? And so this is, I mean, this is- Christopher Ruffo, Ruffo, you're talking about Christopher Ruffo, right? Yes, that's who I'm referencing, absolutely. And so, so, yeah, I mean, and a part of it too is when he gives people like Christopher Ruffo a position, in my perspective, he's also locking down people like Ruffo for his presidential bid because people like Ruffo are gonna make decisions in the Republican primary. And so obviously- giving positions to your friends or giving positions to people that have sway in conservative circles is also in his best interest. So, I mean, he's checking off all these boxes, right? followings. That's a part of it, right? Right, exactly. But at the end of the day, like the, the, his, his, his long-term agenda cannot be ignored. I mean, yes, he's having some short-term wins here for his own, you know, political ambitions and appealing to his right-wing base. But let's be clear, there are some serious consequences here long term. And so um, I don't think Rufo stops a new college. He's already trying to um, spread drama about FSU. He'll, he'll, he'll surely come after UCF. I mean, we we cannot just accept, you know, what happened new college as the end game because it does. They're not they don't stop there. And I would argue as a Democrat, like we have a habit of just being reactionary and just, you know, kind of tapping in and tapping out based on when it's politically convenient. <laughs> And for me, it's like, oh, no, I'm tapped in, coach. I'm not going anywhere. And so I've had so many conversations with administrators and faculty on other campuses because everyone's watching this in higher ed and a lot of folks don't know what to do. And so I am doing what I can to also help, you know, be that that support to help ensure that that if, if you are worried about what's happening, whether you're an alumni, a student, a parent, or you work in these institutions, that you have a voice and you need to use it because, yes, DeSantis has these uh, victories in the interim, but there's also backlash. And we saw the backlash to his uh, canceling of the AP African American Studies course. I mean, I have met so many uh, just everyday folks who know what happened and are mad about it. And so I do think we have to ensure that that energy is sustained and it translates to getting involved this legislative session. If you're just tuning in right now, you're listening to the voice of Representative Anna Ascamani, the Orlando Democrat uh, in the legislature. You're listening to the skinny here on WMNF. We've got Representative Ascamani for a few more minutes. Uh, Representative, I want to talk about a couple other issues, if we can, before we let you go here. One, of course, is one that you're very much obviously interested in. That's the issue of abortion rights, uh, having something you used to work there at Planned Parenthood yourself. Uh, so we know that um, there's going to be... We, we got the first restrictions in Florida history, really, of abortion rights since Roe v. Wade last year with the 15-week ban on uh, abortions, along with no exceptions for rape or incest. 
So there's a lot of talk about a potential six-week bill uh, that I guess I don't think that's been filed yet for the legislature. But let me ask you this, uh, and, and I'd like to get your thoughts about this. So Senate President Kathleen Pasadomo, she is uh, an important person in the legislature, the Senate president, theoretically the, one of the top two people in, this, in the legislature. She has introduced a 12-week ban, uh, but with exemption, exceptions for rape and incest, which, uh, like I said a moment ago, is, is no longer the, law, the land here in Florida. And what do you think? Do you think that she'll, when she, uh, when the legislative session begins, you think that bill will get any type of fair shot from her GOP colleagues? No, definitely not. I also understand that she spoke in favor of a potential 12-week ban, but I, I don't think I've seen ex- anything actually filed. Um, but with that oh, okay. said, okay. Yeah. yeah, at the end of the day, the Senate president is not in charge of this. I mean, the the fact that you have Senator Aaron Grawl now, who was the House member that carried all these abortion bans, now that she's in the Senate, um, I, you know she's going to be point in a lot of ways. And of course, Governor DeSantis is facing pressure from the the conservative extremists of his base to ban abortion completely. And the fact that he already you know sent a message saying that he's okay with six weeks, that he he is supportive of a six week ban, he'll sign a six week six week abortion ban, tells me that uh, he's basically nodding to the legislature to 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 do that bidding. Um, and so Senate President Pasadomo actually used to be very moderate on this over the years, but much like we saw how she uh, uh, totally caved in during the fifteen week ban debate where she originally said she wasn't comfortable uh, with a lack of exceptions then changed her mind. I really don't think she has the type of courage to actually stop um, a six-week abortion ban. And I just want to make sure folks understand that a ban is a ban. Even with exceptions, it's still really dangerous. And most exceptions exist on paper, but not in real life. Because in, in an effort to even uh, try to meet some of these exceptions, especially for sexual assault, you have to have reporting made. And there are many survivors who are not ready to report uh, who might still be navigating that pregnancy. And then at the same time, an abortion ban forces providers to leave the state. So again, you might have an exception, but if there are, is no doctor to provide care to you, then you you don't have any options even with the exception. So I also want to stress that exceptions are often used by the Republicans to give off the impression they're not as extreme as we all know they are. And, and at the end of the day, an exception really does not make the difference that I, I think most folks think it, think it would. Any other questions, guys? Yeah, I mean, we... if, if I could ask one yeah. more question, and, and I don't know how uh, much you want to talk to this because it does kind of take the focus off the issue and, and new college and things like that. But in those photos down there, you know, it was you and, and former Representative uh, Smith down there. Carlos Guerrero Smith, yeah. And, and, you know, it made me think, like, where is all, where are all the other elected officials down there, and and what is right. the plan for the Democrats here coming up in the session, and 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 really going forward? I mean, I know you work really hard to get elected um, in in your district. Is there any appetite or anything to take what a formula, the ethos, a plan, anything from from your wins and apply them to the state party at large? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously the Florida Democratic Party is not existent right now, and it's and, and even though it's existed you know, again, on paper, doesn't really <laughs> exist in real life. And so I really have to have to have build my own infrastructure in, in, in my area of Central Florida. I've never counted on an exterior force or even my local DC, which I used to be a board member of. I've never counted on these institutions to, to help me. I've always just kind of 
operate under under the understanding that like we 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 are the Democratic Party as individuals, and so we need to ensure that uh, we're proving to people our worth and that we're we're building trust and that we earn your support. Um, with that said, you know there's the FDP Democratic Party you know race for the chair right now. And are you and backing anybody in that race, Anna? I am. I've I've already put my weight behind Annette Tadeo. Uh, and so hopefully, you know, she'll she'll be that uh, new chairwoman. I do think uh, she is someone who has experience in the Democratic Party. She understands what doesn't work and what does work. And of course, having someone who is bilingual um, is very important in a state like Florida. But with that said, you know, there are uh, so many important tactics and and just, you know, work ethic that anyone can mimic and anyone can model um, and in my case, this weekend, we're actually hosting a organizing boot camp for students. And we have over 70 students confirmed to attend, high school students, uh, college students. We have some new college students who will be joining us in Orlando as well. And our goal is to really just help build that base and, and help train the next generation on how to organize around an issue you care about. Um, and our hope is to actually host our next one in Tallahassee. So, uh, you know, we're doing what we can, you know, to help build that infrastructure because I can't wait for the party to get it together. Uh, the crisis wow. is now, the work is now. And so we're just going to keep hustling and, and hopefully others can keep up. So you're the, you're, 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 the, you're the doctor in the doctor's office and the Florida Democratic Party walks in. What, how do you, what's that diagnosis? Uh, that diagnosis is to go back to basics. So go back to to on the ground voter registration, uh, go back to uh, supporting issues that impact Floridians and, and, and stop listening to your corporate consultants. So those would be my my three uh, uh, recommendations and the prescription I would provide. All right, we're going to leave it there. Uh, Representative Anaska Amani from Orlando, Democrat. Uh, thank you so much for your time, Representative, for being our first guest here on The Skinny. Thanks so much. Great to talk to you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. All right. Well, there you go. Uh, Representative Anna Escamani, definitely one of the uh, firebrands of the Democratic Party. And there's so few of them. Literally, there's fewer Democrats than ever in the, in the legislature in the history, I believe. In the Florida House, there's only 35 of them, I believe. I think I got the number right in the 120-member body. So it is definitely uh, low times for the Democratic Party. Okay, 11, almost 11.25 right now in the morning. Uh, you're listening to The Skinny here. I'm Mitch Perry with Ben Montgomery and Ray Roa. Um, and what's introduce the bring up some phone calls right now we have not yet done that in the show and that's definitely going to be part of this program going forward is hearing your participation so the phone number to call in right now is 813-239-9663 want to talk about some other issues that have happened this week in tampa bay and in florida now ben let's talk about you were uh you were of course down there at new college but you're also following this issue down in manatee county regarding the saga about whether I, and I can't really get my hands around this thing. They want to bring back a Confederate monument? The other interesting thing that happened in the lower half of Tampa Bay on Tuesday, it turns out, uh, right across town from New College over in Bradenton, the Manatee County Commissioners uh, postponed essentially a vote on Tuesday morning on whether to reinstall a Confederate monument on the lawn of the county courthouse. This was a monument that was erected in the 1920s. Uh, as, as we know, through the clear hindsight of history, the 1920s were uh, an era when many of the these monuments were re-erected uh, or were erected initially across the country. Um, 
uh, it was uh, it followed a sort of wave of racism, the rise of the uh, the second rise of the Ku Klux Klan. Uh, this, of course, came on the heels of the release of uh, uh, the first motion picture. Uh, Birth of a Nation, which was, uh, you know, a racist uh, film, as we now know, but very popular, shown in the White House uh, and sort of ushered in this era of racism. All of these statues, uh, memorials, monuments to the Confederacy across the South were erected in uh, in that era, many of them. And then uh, and suddenly so this came down in, in the summer of 2017. Um, it, it was actually broken in a couple of pieces on accident. The workers who were removing it following a series of protests in downtown. Bradenton, uh, they dropped the uh, the obelisk and they broke it in half, and so it's been in storage now for nearly five years, broken in two pieces. It would it would take about forty thousand dollars to fix this thing and to re-erect it on the courthouse lawn. I'm still puzzled about how this got on the agenda right. in the first place. This was brought to the uh, to the attention of county commissioners that this obelisk was still in storage at the meeting last month, and uh, and wound up on the agenda for discussion at this month's meeting. It seems to me that um, that uh, the citizens who brought it up thought they might have uh, a more friendly ear, perhaps in uh, this all Republican, this brand newly seated all Republican uh, board of, of commissioners in Manatee County. Um, so uh, so this got pulled from the agenda at the last moment, but it did prompt a lot of protest. About 20 people, as I recall, showed up to talk against it. Uh, citizens of Manatee County said this is no time. Uh, by the way, I should, be, I should be pointed out, this was the day before the first day of Black History Month when this was due to be discussed and many uh, folks who showed up to protest pointed that out. Um, so uh, it's been booted down the road. Uh, the commissioners say that they will bring it up at a future meeting. A couple of them expressed uh, the sentiment that they were against this notion. They thought it was a non-starter, but they wanted to bring it up uh, at, a, at a commission meeting so that it could be put to rest once and for all so the uh, so the county could essentially put an end to any yeah. notion of uh, debate about this monument being erected. I, I was reading that this is they um, put this away back in 2017, just like we did here in Hillsborough County. We all remember that, right? That was an incredible sure. saga throughout the summer. They voted for it, voted against it, voted for it again three times. I think they did that. Um, by the way, you know, we, we're getting also people can text or uh, send a, an email to us right now at dj at wmnf.org. Uh, thanks, Ben, for telling us about that because I've been following that peripherally and wanted to know that's where exactly where we're at. So getting some notes here, too. And again, we're taking your phone calls in a moment. Uh, Dave writes in. So and I did see this. I was out of town. But on Wednesday, the Hillsborough delegation, legislative delegation had their meeting. Right. All these every county has at least one before the legislative session begins where they invite the public in. There's a lot of officials. So there's all the legislators, the state senators and representatives from this area. So Hillsborough County had theirs on Wednesday. And according to Dave, 62-minute um, speaking so- spots filled early on. Well over 100 citizens showed up. We were crowded into a small room. The first order of business business brought up by Representative Fentress Driscoll was that a new chair needed to be placed. So Senator Roussan called for nominations by Jay Collins with zero experience, was quickly nominated and voted in. Well, look, there's more Republicans there probably, right? Um, well, Rep. Escamani says the GOP just goes through the motions. Here was another example. Uh, Debbie King of Clio, which I believe is an uh, environmental group, said they, they were never given a chance to speak and being no room inside were forced to stand at the door. Collins quickly closed the meeting after public comments and there was no discussion. 
uh, many topics were brought up. Uh, okay, well, thank you for telling us about that. Uh, we're also getting a lot of response from uh, Representative Escamani coming on the program here. Do we have some uh, some calls here? We do. Okay, so guys, why don't we just dive right in here? Let's go to uh, let's go to Caroline calling in from. Um, uh, okay, let's see. Do I? Okay, oh, now I got to ask. Okay, where do I make sure to make? I don't forgive us, folks. We're uh, we're here. And we I haven't too. been here in five years. Okay, system. Mitch is an old hat, but he's uh, okay. A rusty. Caroline, are you there? Yes, okay. I'm here. Hey, Caroline. And I'm happy the show is on um, archives because I missed the first part. I was at the meeting on Tuesday at New College, and I want to give a big shout out to Representative Atamami uh, for being there. And um, showing she cares. She's such a, you were right, what a firebrand. And um, she sparked me. I'm one of the 40% that didn't vote for DeSantis. And I feel so disrespected by all that. And um, I want to just tell you, too, I'm a parent of New College, uh, you know, alums. And I tell you what, I really believe that they picked the wrong place to start a fight. Those kids are super smart. Mm -hmm. And there's so much heart there. I want to definitely make that clear. And it was almost, I almost felt embarrassed for um, the new board of um, trustees folks who uh, just joined because they obviously were not up on their email. They asked um, silly questions. The, I agree with you, Caroline. I thought that was interesting. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to, uh, to speak over you, but I thought that was interesting. And I wonder if you recall the moment when they considered uh, ending the school's DEI office, which yes. of course has a different name. Yes. And it was pointed and out to them as the they were about to pass this admission, uh, uh, amendment, as it was pointed out to them that, that uh, veteran services was also tied into the same office, as was outreach in other regards. And so they sort That's of stepped on their own toes, right? Yeah. They, they were, did not even know the basics. They're just ill-equipped. And seriously, the community at New College Fundamental is... Um, you know, it's not a place where you get indoctrinated. It's a place where you go to learn to think. And um, I I think that the, the powers that be, especially if Kakorin actually makes it there as president, he's going to have a bad time. Yeah, could I ask Carolina a question about that? Since uh, you are um, a parent of an alum, there was a great column in La Gazette a couple of weeks ago about how actually what's going to happen uh, if it becomes a true classical college and, and new college will always continue to be new college. They'll read the classics and then... Uh, they'll become, they'll be surprised at the results because they will be thinking in, independently and uh, Ben told a great story last week, you know. They're, a, uh, they're doing grad level student work at an undergraduate level. Do you understand what that means? There's no grades. It's all inquiry-based types of things. There's, it's low <laughs> class load. We picked that school, uh, my kids picked that school on purpose because they wanted to be with other intelligent people. Nobody indoctrinated them. They, they didn't come out gay. And <laughs> if, they started, if they started by reading a, a symposium by Plato, they would realize <laughs> that they were talking also about gender and sexuality, you know, the same yeah. issues we're talking about today. It's just ridiculous. The, um, and again, it just seems like intellectually those guys are just not up to the task. If you read their, but they're smart. They put out, aren't they? Uh, were you, were, you weren't surprised? Uh, outside of outs, well, let me uh, withhold that impression. Outside of one person in particular, there were some smart men on that panel, and that and that um, it wasn't uh, it wasn't uh, it, it wasn't. Rufo is not an ignorant person. He right. is a, he is a sharp. Uh, he's a thinker, and um, 
you know, in many ways, that makes him, in my mind, uh, more of a threat to sort of new college than uh, somebody like an Eddie Spear. All right, Caroline, we're going to move on from there. Thank you so much for the phone call. Again, 813-239-9663 is the number. And let's go to our next call. Let's go to Deandra in Brandon. Good after- Good morning. You're on the air here on WMNF. Hey, good morning. I really appreciate the opportunity to vent um, this uh, matter of, uh, uh, of this theater, so to say, of like combat with uh, New College really upset me because um, when it comes to the, uh, the, the queer studies, the black queer studies, um, it, it, it's very strange that, you know, when it comes to education, it's been a tumultuous process for black people being educated. And now it seems like the history, there are maybe tribal history as opposed to, you know, Eurocentric history is going to be like just about eradicated where mm-hmm. there might be some answers um, that we could utilize to, to kind of like uh, enlighten ourselves on the matter of gender and sexuality as it pertains to black people outside of, you know, Christendom or Abrahamic tradition. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So that is going to be ambushed. You know, that, that's what's happening. Uh, it's happened. It's pretty sad. It's disgusting. Um, being agnostic, a person that I am, I, it really hurts. But, um, you know, there aside from that, you know, this looks like it's been something that's been coming along for a long time. And I recall on watching uh, the Florida channel, um, a, a particular uh, uh, politician, I won't rename this person on, on air, but it, it, he kind of prophesied this. And basically, you know, back like in like 14 or 16, was uh, pointing out that, you know, these are the kinds of things we're going to have to in- worry about encountering. Um, and, uh, but there was, he was, he's, he's a right-leaning guy, and um, it, it was almost as if he was, like, trying to uh, find a way to uh, get people to start dressing these things up, you know, so that they could be utilized on the political stage. And now here it is. Here these things are. And uh, lastly, I don't want to take up too much time. I find it terrible that, you know, when it comes to the, the statues of that, which I know is probably going to uh, flounder, but um, still, you know, we're talking about people and, and, and organizations who put these things up, live long enough to turn around and pave over, you know, people's heritage and culture, you know, uh, 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 of the black race here in Florida. And that seems to me to be the biggest like, oh, my God, are you crazy sort of a thing? Why aren't, you know, the why isn't the left leaning on that reality that, you know, the people who put up these monuments paved over, you know, the, the ex-slaves and, you know, uh, the black people who were living under Jim Crow. When my mom was a little girl, okay, and my uncles were, were, were teens, you know, why, how, how is that not connecting and this, like, whole procession of, you know, destruction, uh, cultural genocide, not being pointed out for what it is. I mean, the means is easy to go ahead and construct for this. I'm going to leave it there. Thanks, gentlemen. All right. Thanks, Deandre. Thank you so much for the phone call. Uh, Before... Now, Ray, I want to go back to you for a moment, though. Again, we're really trying to... Part of this show, of course, is really emphasizing our own reporting that we're doing here. Again... Mitch Perry with the Florida Phoenix, Ben Montgomery with Axios, and Ray Rowe with Creative Loafing. Creative Loafing, Ray, I read your piece yesterday. So you, we have a big you know, municipal election here in the city of Tampa coming up uh, in a month from Tuesday. Uh, and Tampa's really funky in terms of, A, it has an election in, you know, 
March, which I guess Jacksonville does, but St. Pete used to do it. They have it in the fall now. People just aren't used to voting this time of year. But Tampa also has all seven of their city council members on election and re-election at the same time. Again, many other uh, localities around here, they split it up. They have three at one time, you know, four at the other time. They're all seven are up here, including the incumbents. Uh, I know what Miranda and um, and Guido Mascalco are both. They're running in different seats. Switchies, because, switchies. yeah, because they're they'd be term limited out. They are term limited out of their particular seats. So anyway, you went. You guys have talked to all the different candidates, uh, challengers, and the and the seven races. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Well, we reached out to sixteen. We we sent a survey out, um, and that was before the final deadline. So we haven't been able to send one to uh, Blake Casper in District Four, but Justin did talk to him, and and we'll get into that. A little bit and, and and yeah our our cover is funny it's got six politicians design told me they couldn't fit everybody uh that wanted to be on city council in there and that kind of speaks to um how crowded it is and, and there are those basics so we're advocacy right so we just want to like put it out there you have to be registered to vote by monday february 6th um early voting is going to start on february 27th as, as you noted it'll end on march 5th um and there's a deadline to request a mail-in ballot for the election which we're not used to doing um because of a new law that, that's right the legislative law one of the many election quote-unquote reforms that have happened the last couple of years so people if you, you're not going to automatically get that vote by mail ballot if you've had that in the past you correct, request correct. It. so and we spoke to the supervisor of elections jerry kramer uh, told us that about fourteen thousand people have requested which is Nothing compared to the 58,000 who did so um, in 2019. And that's not really a great sign. Um, I think only 20% of the yeah. almost 50,000 uh, eligible voters voted in 2019. I really think they got to move this to the fall. That's my you know personal take, but... You know. Yeah, and, and St. Petersburg made a big decision yeah. in this last election about what they wanted to do with that. So February 20th, they don't want you to wait that long. If you want to vote by mail, you have to request um, now. And yeah, it's interesting. Last night, um, I guess we'll jump to District 4 here. We'll, we'll hit the yeah. other ones here. But last night, there was a big gathering at uh, Oxford Exchange. Uh, Blake Casper jumped into this uh, race pretty late, literally, in the in the Last hours, hour. yeah. yeah. And... Um, it was against, against uh, incumbent Bill Carlson in the South Tampa District 4. Correct. And Charlie Frigo was there last night, and it was packed. Tell us uh, who Blake Casper is, for those who don't know. All right. So if you've ever uh, had a cheeseburger uh, in a drive through <laughs> you might have contributed to the Casper Fund. Uh, recently, they sold off 60-something McDonald's. All their McDonald's is uh, sold off. Um, obviously, we don't know what the windfall was uh, for that. Um, um, put it this way, he didn't ask for any money last night at his uh, campaign event because I, I don't think he's going to need it. Justin is working on a piece right now that'll probably blow your mind uh, when it comes to the, the net worth of uh, the candidate. So he's facing off here against uh, Bill Carlson in um, District 4. Carlson, obviously uh, the incumbent. Um, if you're remotely interested in local politics, you know his name. Um, Carl Casper actually backed Carlson yeah. um, in his last bid last night, according to Charlie Frago. He said he kind of turned uh, during the George Floyd protests. Um, you know, that's interesting, by the way, because Bill Carlson represents South Tampa, which, uh, you know, it's got a mix of Democrats and Republicans, got some very wealthy people there. And I recall speaking to him around that time and. You know, remember, if you remember, some of the BLM protests were they intentionally had them in Hyde Park. They wanted to be in kind of the wealthier areas to put, you know, that was an amazing time, of course, uh, 
disturbed some, but it was for others. It was, you know, the civil rights moment of our time, perhaps. And, um, but I know that Carlson was at the time getting some, you know, criticism for, not, you know, for he wasn't involved with the protest, but the fact that they were being held down there, people, some people did not like that. And so I think, um, you know, I, I haven't talked to Blake Casper at all. I know, right, he I, was Brian, uh, former Tampa police he chief. He was, and, and, Brian and, Dugan and, there. and the feud between uh, former police chief Dugan and Carlson is very famous. I, uh, but the reporting says that Dugan told the Bullet Bill story about how uh, Bill didn't want to fund uh, practice ammunition. And to me, it, it's kind of an interesting narrative. And let me caveat this. Like, we get so caught up in heady when we talk about elections. Um, and we become analytical. It becomes like a sport. Uh, breeds this tribalism, wins and losses. And we forget that there's people at the center of this whose lives are affected by the decisions that are being made on the dais every week. And that is really what's at stake. So Carlson's being framed as this anti-police person, um, some of the others too. But I, 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 I keep going back to this uh, meeting where all seven council people approved a nearly 19% raise for the Tampa Police Department. Um, so it's an interesting platform. Doesn't sound to, anti-police right. to me. There's, there's no an- defunding police going on there at all. I, I think we can all agree that police are probably underpaid. I mean, I might get raked for that by, by some people, but, but if, if you want quality, you have to pay. Right, um, and incentivize them. Most of our police can't even afford to live in the city that they they're supposed to, uh, uh, you know, serve. So, so it's an interesting narrative. I don't know how it's going to play out. What I'm really interested in is how the money's going to play out here. Um, I tried to go to Cafe Con Tampa this morning, couldn't get parking. I'm going to tell you, it was covered in Casper signs. Right? Oh, is that right? Like well, it's his place, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and, um, and, and it was interesting. So I'd love to see that play out. I'm concerned that we're not going to get a lot of dialogue in some of these races. Yeah, well, you know, I was saying this last week when we had Justin Garcia here. was When I covered the races in 2011, 2015, um, there were de- – and it, again, it's, it, we still have a month ago. So maybe it's going to start getting um, a little more intense in terms of the neighborhood associations holding these candidate forums. Because when I've covered the races in the past – you know, every neighborhood association, they all want to have their own thing. And, and there's almost a nightly uh, situation. We are getting some uh, more feedback from our listeners uh, via email. And we've got something from Jan who, and Jan says, I moved from California, San Francisco. Oh my God, Jan. I, awesome to see a fellow 415 person here. And I'm happy to have my democratic vote count here. Uh, Jan goes on to say, it drives me crazy when people from elsewhere say, quote, those people in Florida are stupid, racist, homophobic, etc." No, no. Do they no. say that? No. <laughs> well, here, here. No, no, we are not. Almost all of us here in Hillsborough County are Democrats. Well, that's not completely true. Uh, we are not who our governor is, and we do not support him. Did all of America support Trump? Of course not, uh, Jan says. And also, let's see, we've got something else here. Um, some more new college folks. They're really uh, fired up about that. Um, I think David, actually, when we go back to David, wrote in, um, uh, if I can go here for a second here. And do we have, we, let me go, I should go back to the phone. But, um we got something from somebody about there's a fund here. Uh, hold on a second here. Uh, oh yeah, David Bright wrote in and said, uh, "New there's a SaveNewCollege.org. Uh, that's a website people can check out more information for." Uh, I'm sorry, you guys want to say something? I was going to ask Ray if you think Florida gets a bad rap in that regard. I mean, seriously, I I know you we're know, we're the butt of many jokes, but it's, uh, it's interesting. I talked to Nico Case last week. Kind of, you know, <laughs> <old> name dropping <laughs> here, and we love in Nico Case. And what? she said she loves coming to Florida. And um, she said, you know, Florida gets a bad rap. She used to live in Arizona, so she had this anecdotal analogy, and she said, you know. Everybody thinks it's bad and things like that, but every time I go there, are these amazing people, mm. and you know, she's an expert. But these, you know, some people who ruin the vibe. There's like eight of them. 
<laughs> right? And there's so many, you know, for her, people that are rad. She said excellent people. So I don't think we get a bad rap. I mean, there are so many moments when you're like, ooh, I don't know if I can stay here, you know? But then you just look around. Like, I'm in this room right now. I get outside this room over the weekend. You'll see so many people um, really putting in the work and, and who are really interested in things. So to your answer, Ben, no. I call that the I Bellamy a- brother problem. You know, nobody knows the Bellamy brothers until you hear one of their songs. Then you sing along with it. Right. They're uh, right in our backyard, and there's some cool sons of guns. You I know, know there's I mean? a ton so, of cool people here, and um, and, and I think and I think you we just got to hear the music. Let's go oh. back to the phones now, John from Port Ritchie. John, you've been waiting patiently. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Skinny. Yeah, thanks for the show. A couple of things on the education. One, I wanted to ask Eskamani about the uh, uh, the legislator wants to pass a bill to, to extend the vouchers to every student in the state. I thought, well. Why don't they add an amendment on there that says that any educational system that gets funding from the state has to come to the same standards as the uh, the public school in terms of of testing, uh, oversight, letting people go in and see them just like they do a public school? Because I know a lot of those uh, private schools have no accountability. So I thought, put an amendment on there, let them be accountable too if they want to get voucher money from the state. The second thing I wanted to talk about was... Um, New college. So a couple things there. I'm not quite sure how the president got, got fired. I would assume that it would take a majority of the board members to do that. And I thought there was 13 and only six were appointed by uh, DeSantis. So maybe you can explain that to me. That's a good yeah, question. Yeah, right. So yeah. she had she had prepared, uh, she had prepared a, a sort of a small speech uh, that she was ready to deliver and she had prepared uh, an amendment that essentially provided her, uh, and I'm presumably with the help of counsel, but provided her with a bit of a package so she could step away comfortably. So uh, everyone saw the writing on the wall and ultimately for her, she explained her issue was that she could not uh, honestly go out and and uh, recruit students to new college knowing what she knows about the nature of the board uh, and uh, the movement of the um, powers that be. And so uh, she couldn't do the job. Uh, w- w- yeah, she couldn't do the job okay. knowing that. Right. Uh, but but the thing, at the same time, she, the vote was to terminate her. She didn't resign. So Okay. Well, well, I was just thinking there had to be, what, at least seven to do it but right the other thing too is um if like the governor said they want to make this in the mold of the christian school in in michigan yeah. Hillsdale. Hillsdale, yeah. wouldn't that wouldn't that be a violation of church and state to do that i yeah, mean if you want to go to a christian school go to a private school that's not what public schools are for Oh, uh, interesting. Yeah. All right, John. Yeah. Hey, I got something here, an email here, which is going to appeal to our, or I don't know if it'll appeal, but it, it's, it's important for our listeners. So Paul Renner, the House Speaker, very powerful man, um, seeing his email, he announced today he has requested records from Hillsborough County public school officials regarding age-inappropriate reading materials available in public school libraries. According to this uh, press release, the request seeks to understand the decision-making processes for allowing such materials to be made available to young children and how school officials address parental objections. Um, you know, we've been hearing about this going on in terms of uh, the, you know, the, the books, the libraries, and what's happening there. And now he's going in. He got a request, apparently. And now there's uh, the Florida House. This is not just anybody. is seeking public records related to, quote-unquote, age-inappropriate books in Hillsborough County School Library. So you've got that going on today. What would the record... What would the record possibly be? Uh, 
I don't know, but the I think somebody, when, when they figure out what all those books are, they should just start a bookstore or a library that has all of them in there. Yeah, yeah. No, this is... Uh, this works, right? I mean, the best <laughs> way to get a kid to read, this worked for me. Somebody, I heard someone say, never read Catcher on the Rye. It'll change your life. I was like 14. I read it the first time I saw it, like cover to cover without stopping. And it made me a reader. So maybe this is happening to these yeah, kids you know, that's, now. Yeah. Don't read The Bluest Eye. And maybe they're all grabbing it and falling in love with literature. I saw that, that story in the Times today, right? They oh, said yeah. there's some folks in but Palm Harbor, some County. kids down there. Uh, let's go to, we got Christina on the line here. Uh, Christina, hi. You're on uh, The Skinny. Hi, hi. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, I wanted to talk about the, the AP course, um, the removal of content by the legislature. Um, a little bit about me. I'm a, a former theater and film teacher, and I taught theater and film in uh, public high school in Florida for over a decade. I'm taking a break right now from the classroom because I, I refuse to teach under DeSantis's regime, but that's another conversation. Mm-hmm. What I want to say about this is that I am not only appalled as an educator by this latest move by him, equally I'm very scared because what I see coming and, you know, the history of the last four years um, in this legislature I think supports that. What I see coming is it becoming much worse for us with education here in Florida. I taught the inter-baccalaureate program for theater for two years in Broward County. And for anyone out there that's not familiar with what the interbaccalaureate program is, I did Google so that I could give you a clear-cut definition. Um, the IP program aims to develop inquiring, knowledgeable, and caring young people who help to create a better and more peaceful world through intercultural understanding and respect. And I taught theater in that regard. Now, I could talk all day long about wonderful... I have two, two proud, uh, proud of two daughters in the IB program at Hillsborough High School. Little brother oh, did the wonderful, same. Wonderful, wonderful. Yes, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing experience to work with those, those kids all day. And we went to Broadway. Well, I didn't take the kids with me, but um, I went an inter-baccalaureate workshop with theater teachers from around the world that my school set me on at the time. And I watched a play on Broadway. It was a different modernized version of Romeo and Juliet in which race was a central issue and the plot as the director had directed it. So the Montagues were black, the Capulets were white, and it was an absolutely beautiful story. And I came back and the kids and I had this very deep discussion about theater and its relationship to politics and the world and humanity. My concern is that programs like these, the IB program and other wonderful programs, will eventually be taken away and they'll be chipped they, he will just keep chipping at them. And on that note, what I want to end by saying with is, you know, the wonderful BLM movement, all the protests in the street, you know, the, the positive things, some of the positive changes that came out of that, I know there should be so much more than what did come out of it, but there was a little bit of change. And I'm wondering why hasn't the Democratic Party in Florida begin to mobilize and organize and some wonderful protests start happening because DeSantis is just gonna, it's going to get worse. And I'm very fearful about what's going to happen to the state of education in this state. And that's what I wanted to say. Isn't this also what it sort of boils down to? Um, uh, you, you know, you, you and I uh, see uh, a protest and, and we use words like, oh, this is beautiful and it's wonderful. This is expression. Uh, this is activism. This is civility. Um, this is what we're supposed to do. And others see that and say this is scary and dangerous and needs to be stopped. And that's uh, that's like 
That's I, where we are today. I, I call protest. When I see a protest, I just say, wow. I mean, and this is coming from a kid who's Filipino, first generation immigrant, right? Everything I was taught when I see a protest, I just think that's what they told me America is. Right. It's like as right. American as apple pie. Yeah. Well, I came, I, I, I came from the, I feel like the, the protest capital of the world in Berkeley, California, where I, you know, uh, did my first job in radio. And, you know, it maybe is in San Francisco where I grew up, maybe there's a lot of that because it was really a big deal when I moved here in Florida in 23, you know, 23 years ago. And there was like none of it. Um, now, I will say this, though, uh, Christina, you know, if Tallahassee, which those legislative sessions are beginning next month, there's a lot of protests that go on up there and they're um, dramatic and the press covered, we, all the reporters cover it. Uh, it doesn't really change anything. I hate to say that, but in terms of what the legislation is going to be, it's it's important. Uh, we all document that. It's important to, to note that that's there. Um, but uh, in, in the time I've been there, I, I shouldn't say that. There have been things that have happened. Certainly when Parkland happened five years ago, 2018, yeah, we're coming up on the fifth year anniversary. The kids came up right after that and they were still in session and we changed the, the, the it's been the, the largest uh, restrictions ever, I think, in Florida history in terms of what was passed there. The NRA is still suing on part of that law, actually, five years later. So and wow. then to bring that to bring that full circle, you, I, I, I sat uh, all day uh, Tuesday for five hours of that board meeting next to X Gonzalez, who was uh, has become a uh, you know an activist since Parkland. Uh-huh. Uh yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, again, that I, I was thinking about that because because so many times, and it's interesting. I even a couple months ago, the the the, uh, the Christian right, if you will, the anti-abortion folks. They're the ones who are making a lot of noise because they do want, you know, Representative Escamani was talking about the six-week ban, which, you know, DeSantis has been famously, like, really slithery on this and hasn't really said anything where he's at on abortion because I think this is where you see him kind of trying to triangulate the idea of being, you know, appealing to, to the conservative base and yet realizing that politically speaking, that's all I'm talking about the way it's politically, it's kind of, it hasn't, it wasn't good for Republicans, right? I mean, in terms of what happened in November because of Roe v. Wade being strike, struck down. And so he's been trying to navigate this dance. And so the the, uh, the uh, folks who want to go further, six weeks, you know, they've been pushing pretty hard. They've had protests. And I saw yesterday that uh, this one uh, guy out there who's really big in Tallahassee, he's getting a meeting with uh, Paul Renner on February 20th. He put this out to everybody because they're getting in the room, you know, so they're getting closer. I think, you know, Escamani is correct about that. Mm -hmm. um, so we just have a few minutes left to go. By the way, if anybody wants to qu qu quickly call in, you can do that right now. Um, but Ray, you did write. Just remind. People, you're listening to the Skinny on WMNF 88.5, uh, uh, and also you can call us by dialing 813-239-9663. I wanted to get maybe we had a chance to talk to Ray. He wrote this great column or piece about the Springsteen concert, <laughs> which, by the way, you know Tampa, you know, it was on the map on Wednesday. First, you had Brady uh, retiring, and then of course uh, the World Tour opening, right of. Uh, of Springsteen, uh, where you and you tell us Chris Christie was there. Yeah, yeah, it <laughs> Pat was crazy Riley. to kind of get to my seat there, and uh, my I was sitting next to Jay Weinberg too. Hmm. So Max Weinberg's kid. <laughs> oh, for okay, sorry, I didn't know what you're talking. Yeah, insane. Max. It was so nice. He was like taking pictures of all the fans and stuff. They had no clue who he was or that he played on the tour in 2019. Chris Christie was a few seats away from me. Um, I was most excited to see uh, uh, Pat Riley as a young Lakers fan um, to see him there, and I should have expected so, it. Right? So with the hair. Oh, the hair slicked back. And then the craziest part is, I mean, Brian Williams was there too from NBC, right? Retired now. Well, yeah, he's uh, in exile right now from it's the broadcast. 
crazy to see all the Pat Riley. He's old. I don't know how old he is. In the seventies. This man stood up for almost the entire concert, and almost through the whole concert was just pumping his fists, singing every song. <laughs> really? And then during the encore, it's like a six-song encore. They turn all the house lights on. And I'm just, I felt bad because I'm not watching the show. It's my first Springsteen show. <laughs> and I'm just looking at Pat Riley and all these people like reduced to just common people taking selfies. And I'm like, wow, this is incredible. And, and you know, we were talking earlier, I was always a Springsteen skeptic. Yes. Kind of felt like, oh, maybe it's cheesy. I love Nebraska. I love the songs. No uh-huh, doubt. Uh-huh. The songs are powerful. Right. But I was like, does he really live up to it? Right. He does. I mean, all right. All right. Hey, we got, we got time for a couple more phone calls. That's great. Though. I want to make sure we got that in. Uh, but I want to get some of our listeners in. Let's see. Dr. Debbie from Tampa. Yes, this is Dr. Debbie. Are you getting feedback on my call? No, you sound fine. Okay, great. Thank you for taking it. Um, I just wanted to jump into this conversation um, and to say as someone who has a PhD and is uh, really focused on the integration of arts and education and how those two things are fundamental for our democracy. I want to, one, um, shout out Christine, um, who is obviously doing amazing work with our young people. But um, there is so much that can be done. Um, Let's make no mistake. Our schools are in crisis. Our children are in crisis. Um, And it's basically a system that is imploding. If you look like by 2025, the teacher shortage is just going to be even more exacerbated. Mm -hmm. We need to really seriously organize around supporting teachers, around taking our schools back. If they are public education, you know, they are really one of the last pillars of our democracy. And that along with a vibrant arts and activistic, uh, activism, activism approach to um, teaching, I think, is really what our young people are looking for. Like, our education model is so outdated and really disrespects both our students and our teachers. So, um, yeah, I'm down. If anybody wants to organize with me, my email is seriouseducator at gmail.com. All right, Dr. Debbie. Thanks. And then we, let's maybe get Randy in here, the last call, probably get in here. Hi, you're on the air. Hi there, this is Ronnie. I'm an art teacher at Solid Rock Community School. Um, I teach a lot of special needs kids and kids from all over. We're one of two plant-based schools in the entire country. Uh, We grow a lot of our own food, and it's an absolutely incredible place. Um, I, you know, I I think that we're, you know, I, I used to be a registered Democrat. I was very involved politically for a lot of years. I have to say I actually voted for DeSantis in the last election. And I know there's a lot of controversy around that. But one thing that I observed was, you know, he helped get the schools open mm-hmm. and in a, in, a method, in a way that made sense so that kids could get back to the school and I could get back into the classroom more quickly. And these kids are incredible. They need to be around each yeah, other. Yeah, Ronnie, you know, we have, to, we have to go. But, you know, I'd love for you to call back another show because I, I was going to know this theme about Democrats voting for DeSantis. I talked to some folks in Tallahassee a couple days ago who also did vote for De- DeSantis. And I think there's the hidden, there's a story there about how many Democrats voted for him uh, in November. But we got to run there. Thank you so much for calling. Thank you. All right. We got to uh, get going here. Um, 
If you've been listening to WMNF 88.5 FM, you've been listening to Skinny. So we want to, again, uh, I'm Mitch Perry with the Ford of Phoenix, Ben Montgomery from Axios, we'll Tampa Bay. next week. Ray next week. Yeah, pick up a newspaper. Yes. Oh, Read our stuff, please. Uh, we want to thank Skip Sassy. He's been our engineer this afternoon, Thanks, this Skip. morning. Is it? Yeah, yeah, it's still uh, morning. Uh, <laughs> along with, of course, uh, DT helping us out here. And yeah, please, again, make this a regular habit if you could every Friday morning here between 11 and noon here on WMNF, the Skinny. And uh, we'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Take care. You are listening to WMF Tampa. Stay tuned for the NPR news coming up. And then followed by Joe Allen and Art in Your Ear.